The limiting factor is the human innovation. These technologies, as we've been discussing, is allowing us to innovate much faster. So it's the impact that these technologies can create. This is Techcetera, a podcast by Ericsson about the intersection of technology, culture, etc. I'm your host, Sarah Goss, and I'm Head of Innovation at Ericsson. Smart manufacturing, when paired with the power of 5G technology, has the potential to transform the manufacturing industry on a global scale. We're already seeing impressive industry changes across Asia-Pacific, but there are still some challenges to overcome, particularly due to inconsistencies in 5G readiness across the region. Today, you'll hear from two industry heavyweights to discuss the challenges and successes of smart manufacturing. First up, we have Ender Xutao Jian, a futuristic storyteller, techno-philosopher and life explorer. Ender is the founder and CEO of HiverLab a cutting-edge tech company that helps organizations pave the way for their digital future. With a focus on data analytics, augmented, virtual and mixed reality, and cloud computing, Ender has a unique perspective on the impact of smart manufacturing in the region. Next, we have Dilip Sawney, the Regional Director of Rockwell Automation, the world's leading company in industrial automation and information. Dilip is a mainstay in the industry and has seen firsthand the critical role that smart manufacturing will play in India's continued development. In this episode, Dilip and Ender will take us on a journey into the world of smart manufacturing across Asia-Pacific. Dilip will give us a glimpse into how smart manufacturing is shaping India's growth, and Ender will share some real-world examples of successful implementation and practical applications of smart manufacturing. Dilip, let's start with you. Rockwell Automation, a huge market leader. Tell us a little bit more about the company that you lead there in India. Hey, thanks, Sarah, and and delighted to be a part of this podcast. We are a 120-year-old company, you know, a global market leader in industrial automation and digital transformation. We operate in about 80, 85 countries across the globe, and uh, we serve uh, customers across a multitude of industries both consumer-facing industries, heavy resource-oriented industries, as well as infrastructure. Transformation is a little bit of a buzzword these days, but obviously very important to Rockwell Automation's business. Why is the transformation of companies into the digital world so important? You cannot underestimate the importance of this transformation. In many ways, it's just a reflection of the lives that we are living there's been so much change that is playing itself out and the pace of this change is increasing. There's been an enormous amount of supply chain disruption. There's been disruption in terms of simple labor workforce being on the shop floor. There is another different level of disruption that is going on all at the same time, which is to do with the business models evolving very rapidly. We are also used to now to e-commerce, and we these days so heavily rely on what's known as Q-commerce, quick commerce, where you expect what you order to be showing up at a doorstep in 15 to 20 minutes. Now, all of this is spoiling us as consumers. These things are easier said than done, and they are inducing an enormous amount of complexity in the entire value chain. And if you have to cut through all of this complexity, you cannot do that 
without practically transforming your entire value chain. And digital technologies are playing a very, very central and a pivotal role in doing that. And uh, great to meet you too. Could you tell me a bit about HiverLab? What is the company all about? HiverLab actually is a Singapore startup. We actually started from uh, 2014 as a VR AR company. Then we start to build AR VR solutions. And all the way until where we are today, we actually created Digital Twin as a main platform to help industry users to create their own Digital Twin to make their data more transparent. So let's start at the beginning. When we say smart manufacturing, what do we actually mean? Manufacturing has been around for a long period of time. We're talking about industry 2.0, 3.0, now we are in 4.0. So manufacturing has been using technologies, but the technologies that you typically find on a conventional shop floor are very different from the technologies that you and I are used to in our daily lives, right? These are conventionally speaking, very large, well-connected systems, but they were conventionally not utilizing these new age technologies. What we've seen happen over the last, uh, say about a decade or so, is the confluence or the coming together of the conventional shop floor technologies with these new age technologies. And that's just creating this sudden explosion of new use cases that is making it just so easy for manufacturers to overcome that complexity that I was previously talking about. And collectively, all of this is known as smart manufacturing. And that really is the distinguishing factor about Industry 4.0, isn't it? Because you mentioned Industry 2.0, Industry 3.0 to indicate the maturity and the evolving of manufacturing processes as they embrace technology over time. But what's defining of this point in time is that we're having a number of breakthroughs in innovations on a number of fronts all at once. And you mentioned earlier as well, manufacturing can be about the production floor, certainly, but manufacturers often operate warehouses as part of upstream and downstream supply chains. So how is smart manufacturing extending into the warehouse space and also in turn the logistics networks that also support your industry? Sarah, that's a great point because when we talk about manufacturing, Increasingly, and we're today talking about smart manufacturing, it's all about connectedness at the end of it, right? We are trying to take out inefficiencies from across the value chain. And it's that value chain that you're touching upon. When you're talking about extending upstreams and downstreams into the supply chain, that's exactly what you're doing, is basically bringing that the highest possible degree of connectedness across your entire value chain of the enterprise. It is very important because, you know, for now, decades, industries like automotive, to pick an example, have been practicing what is known as just-in-time. Well, you expect things to arrive just-in-time. What happens when it doesn't, right? And by having visibility upstreams into your vendor supply chains and knowing if there's a disruption coming your way gives you better time or reaction time to plan. If you look at downstreams, Say you are a food and beverage manufacturer and you have to really produce this explosion of SKUs that is happening these days. So being tightly integrated into where the demand is coming from and being able to be responsive to that demand gives you competitive edge. I'm trying to establish that you need to be connected seamlessly across the value chain. 
Now let's talk about the aspect that you touched upon, which was warehouses. The integration into the warehouses is becoming very important. Complexity of the warehouses is also increasing simply because in response to the explosion in the SKUs that I spoke about. So all of these things is actually making it very important for integration of manufacturing into warehouses. If you're a warehouse provider, you're trying to create new possibilities by putting warehouses closer and closer to points of consumptions. And, you know, I've been hearing about warehousing being offered as a service where it could be shared across multiple manufacturers. So interesting times, a lot of new innovation that's going on, not just in terms of technology, but also in terms of business models. And I think this connectedness that we spoke about really is at the base of all of this innovation. Ender, I guess amongst all of this change and complexity that Dilip touched on, there are more humans interacting with technology, but also humans interacting with machines. And when we think about that, it kind of conjures up images of science fiction. But practically, what does it look like in the real world? Can you give me an example? Right. Actually, human interaction with machine is not considered a new concept. It's way older than the concept of the digital twin. The machine can be as simple as a tool so to extend the workers like a hammer, but it can be also a more complicated. Consider a Google map. When you look at the navigation, you actually use a mobile app which has a map tool. But simply reading the information on your phone doesn't give you the ultimate navigation directions. You also need to turn yourself, turn your phone around to make sure that you actually follow the instruction to aim at object, then you eventually can follow the right path. So in all these kinds of machines, machine will provide data. The data is based on their understanding, based on the input of a human, but they also have a certain limitation. So machine eventually, the interaction, the interface, might be a machine making a decision based on human's input. And human will just help to collaborate, help to elaborate, because one of the key capabilities of human is we are very good in descriptive uh, reality. For example, I say uh, this machine looks wrong, or this machine looks like slower. Of course, the machine will try to figure out exactly do you mean it's actually a performance drop. And the human say, oh, this looks just slower today. Then the machine will just convert this whole input into, oh, okay, let's look at the historical record. See whether there's similar records that happen to actually contribute this kind of same performance. We're talking about smart manufacturing. There's a multitude of ways that that could be applied, but to different subsectors, because manufacturing is broad. So how do you see the digital infrastructure needs and the drivers that businesses have? How are those digital agendas, I guess, manifesting themselves differently, whether it's in automotive or food processing, clothing and textiles, machinery and equipment, or minerals processing, for example? We actually can separate the demand. For example, uh, some of the industry we've been quite into, one is uh, material manufacturing, like in production. In this process, of course, smart manufacturing means how can you see a very transparent end-to-end process, including the usage of materials, including efficiency, including the wastage and energy usage. 
A smart fraction actually means that whether you are able to automatically make a decision by using same or even less materials, less energy to produce same result, even more result. So for design stage, you actually can think about using a technology like digital twin to actually create a simulation process about the layout of the floor plan. Then floor plan can also put into a dynamic data. For example, you can look at the, the data of uh, how many machines you can deploy these areas, what's the productivity, what's the volume you are able to produce. Dilip, one of the things that Ender has spoken about a few times now is digital twins. And digital twins can actually have a really big impact on things like efficiency and sustainability. Do you have examples in the manufacturing space as to how this is already starting to play out? Well, I can tell you this, there is a lot of anticipation around all of these technologies and how these can simplify and aid decision-making in real-time manufacturing environments. The kind of use cases that we are beginning to see, these are from simple unit-level digital twin all the way across to very complex digital twins, which are digital twins of a process, not of a physical entity, but of a complex process, which could be, to take an example, a bioreactor and how the bioreaction is occurring in real time. Now, you could create a digital twin, and what it enables you to do is, without messing with the real world, be able to emulate and simulate things see what the changes that you may want to carry out, what would be the impact of those changes, and basis that impact, whether that is in line with your expectations or not, you can actually change your decision. So when you actually take the decision in the real world, you're doing so with a lot greater confidence. But in very simple terms, how do you make sure that a new operator that is not even trained when he's or she is put on the shop floor is fully equipped? Is you you actually get them to train in a virtual environment. So utilizing digital twins, they can actually train themselves and then act with a lot greater confidence once they're exposed to the physical settings. We're also utilizing digital twins for carrying out what we call as virtual commissioning. Imagine a scenario, Sarah, where you got a complex piece of machinery or very uh, high-cost equipment, which you're expecting to arrive into your factory and to be integrated with your line. And when the equipment finally comes, gets set up and you begin your testing, that's the thing of the past because increasingly a lot of uh, users are already utilizing this instance that we call as virtual commissioning. You practically emulate the piece of equipment as if it's there and the rest of your line expects that equipment to be there and you're creating digital twin of that equipment and testing out the integration of that with the rest of the line. What then happens is when the equipment actually arrives, your setup time is cut by a very, very big fraction and you act with confidence. It really brings it to life, Digital Twins, when you're able to break it down with examples like that. And you couple that and with the technology that Hiverlab specializes in, all of these technologies enable simulation and provide those opportunities for training and education and upskilling, but also accreditation and recertification over time and the virtual commissioning that you described for testing and so forth. So really good examples. And what about from you? What success stories has Hiverlab seen from using a digital twin? We actually work with a government agency 
to work together with the digital twin of the smart city level. It can be applied for general traffic management, like uh, air conditions monitoring, as well as public safety. Like we work with a company like HP to produce a digital twin of their manufacturing plant, the in plant, and also work with a company like DB Shanker, which is one of the uh, leading 3PL logistics companies in the world. We've been working on digital twin for their warehouse uh, for quite a few years. And those digital twins help to monitor the live status of the puzzles in the warehouse. We're able to send this uh, immediate insight and also the communication protocols with any on-site engineers. Engineers can use it's like 5G powered digital twin version to look at the live aggregated of the data anywhere where they work. And so they're able to communicate with each other successfully as well. You referenced 5G there, and 5G for Ericsson obviously is our bread and butter. And in fact, we have three factories in Sweden, Estonia, and China that are really fast-tracking the introduction of smart manufacturing. And 5G is a really big enabler of us being able to do that. But before we jump into 5G, Ender, what is the importance of wireless connectivity more generally in smart manufacturing? Wireless connection is getting more essential as time moves on. Eventually, for wireless connection, the disruption of installation is still much less than cable. Imagine you want to create IoT sensors just for power reading. If you just purely talk about the cable connection, you have to really uh, literally lay out all the cables from every single machine, so all the way to your center, like uh, control rooms. I think this is really a huge cost, not only about the, the cost of installation, it's cost of stopping certain ongoing sessions. That's why for wireless connection, you are able to install the sensors while the machine is running. So that's why for wireless connections, they will be uh, much easier to adopt. It will be much lower cost to adopt as well. And this is making it quite essential. At Ericsson, we often visualize the production floor where we've cut the cables. That's the benefit, I suppose, of wireless connectivity. And to some extent, as we've been talking about, that's already started to happen with wireless connectivity. And there are a variety of technologies available. I know Wi-Fi today is commonly used, but it does have some limitations. And there is a lot of potential with standardized wireless technologies or cellular technologies such as 5G. Dilip, can you share some examples of what you're seeing people doing today and more importantly, the results that they've started to see. Is 5G just hype or is it solving real problems that industry has? Sure, Sarah. First of all, I think Ender laid it out very, very well. And you yourself alluded to cut the cables, I guess that's the way you put it. And I thought uh, that itself, the untethering of your equipments, that itself is like a massive simplification. From my perspective and the conversations that I've been having with customers, there are a few areas where we are really, really looking forward to 5G coming in and simplifying. So you're talking about that level of flexibility coming in that you not only are eliminating all the time, energy and effort required in elaborate cable engineering, cable containments and whatnot, you know, which goes in in a typical factory. I would also like to draw your attention, Sarah, to another aspect which is much spoken about these days, which is sustainability. Let's stay within a factory. If you're able to eliminate those sometimes tens to hundreds of kilometers of cables that crisscross, 
that is how much of material that you've been able to avoid using and that obviously is going to have a massive sustainability advantage for you as well now talking about use cases which is what you asked me about simplest one is basically mobile equipment which you find quite a lot of in the factories already so you have these agvs or mobile robots which would become even more efficient than what they already are once you have 5g rolled out we spoke about this connected worker concept and this organization is devoted to making that happen when you talk about connected worker or mobile worker how efficiently are you able to in real time allow that collaboration of human to machine human to human in that industrial setting you know is also going to come down to how efficiently are you able to connect the two we've been having discussions inside and and with our uh, customers around what can 5g do around creating flexible factories what i mean by that is if you want to change the layout of your factory in response to an external event where it requires you to probably introduce a new piece of equipment in between a line to to alter the flow you could do that because to set them up its system sort of is self aware because it is equipped with all of these smart technologies but it is also equipped with 5g connectivity the point you drew out about sustainability is a significant opportunity to reduce emissions and to lead to the decarbonization of industries and really take action on climate change and Ericsson actually has a smart factory in Texas that is designated as a sustainability lighthouse by the World Economic Forum and it's for pioneering sustainability achievements it's actually one of only 3 factories in the world to have the designation and it's powered by 100% renewable energy and designed to be 24% more energy efficient than other factories using innovation and use cases such as energy and environmental monitoring and smart irrigation and all these types of things so there really is a lot of possibility there but it kind of begs the question ender are robots going to be taking our jobs i think for us uh, when we look at the human machines collaborations i will always believe collaborations is still the future trends of how we keep human relevant i think though eventually these collaborations will always happens nowadays we talk about a lot of uh, ai generated content like chat gpt has been so trendy nowadays whether we can use chat gpt to create automation program for machine to interact with humans yes we can i mean there are people already doing this on youtube does it really mean that all the program will eventually lose a job no we still need program to understand how the program works of course it can always make our life better if we know how to use those tools in automation sense We've been doing a little bit of experimentation with ChatGPT in our household with my two sons trying to write prompts for it to write narratives and this type of thing but also having philosophical discussions about should you be allowed to do that at school and is it actually a skill that you need and i think the skills piece is important isn't it dilip when we're talking about a future where increasingly machines will play a role and we'll have cobots collaborative robots if you like that we work alongside and have to interface to like enda has been describing there what are going to be important skills that workers of the future are going to need 
That's a very interesting question. I think uh, two things, really. As more and more of that repetitive work gets, I'm going to crudely use the word, farmed out uh, to machines. And machines are going to equip, or let's say analytics and AI is going to equip us with better insights, which would allow us to take better decisions. The pace of business is going to evolve. Innovation is going to evolve because competition in the real world is not going to go away. What would make us successful is how do we utilize all of these superpowers, if you will, to eventually see what is the impact you're making in the real world. How are you making as business to business entities? How are you making your customers more successful as business to consumer, B2C businesses? How are you delighting your customers? Those are the kind of things. And that requires you to be much more collaborative. That requires you to have that element of empathy, if I can put it that way, Sarah. I would also want to say one thing very simply put is first and foremost, and you yourself made a comment about sustainability, eliminating waste and waste is not just in terms of wasted material. Eliminated waste is also waste that you are eliminating before it ever gets created. When I'm talking about these kinds of things, oftentimes my attention also goes towards an all-important aspect, which is around cybersecurity, Sarah. And uh, I relate cybersecurity also very closely to sustainability because the cost of a line or a plant or a business coming down, getting disrupted, I'm not even talking about the ransomware threats that you may or may not receive, but the amount of waste that you either end up generating through your lines or the wasted opportunity because you're not producing anything is also quite a lot. So uh, planning for making your business more resilient, both from a supply chain perspective and also from a cyber perspective. So there's ample for humans to do, Sarah, if you know what I'm saying. (laughs) Sounds like it. And then, Ender, the human perspective. What about making humans resilient? We mentioned ChatGPT before. I guess a generative AI, an, an AI that you can give prompts to and it in turn returns with human sounding responses. But I think like you've been commenting all the way through, it's often the output of technology is only as good as what humans put into it or how humans guide it and interface with it. So I want to ask you, should I be encouraging my kids to become quite skilled in generative AI and other futuristic technologies that we're starting to see at play here? What skills and that type of thing do you think people should be looking to build to ensure that they're employable and have meaningful careers moving forward? That's a very good question because this is exactly the challenging or uncertainty for maybe 30% of populations in the world where they actually have some technology because they always realize that no matter how fast they move, the technology is always moving ahead of them. Back to 1985, right, when the first time the IBM's uh, robot beat the master chess master, People already have this uh, concern. Oh, okay, does it mean the chess is no longer a game? No, today we are still playing chess. And back to 2016, AlphaGo, they beat the Go Master, as well, which was called as an impossible task, but they did it. But what happens? Nowadays, you see a lot more Go players, they are playing together with the AI. They're actually using AI to their assistant to help them understand the scenario, but eventually they are mixed players. They actually learn the way how AI works to also improve their skills. 
even when one dimension's intelligence go beyond us, it doesn't mean us make us obsolete. Dilip, we've touched on a lot of different technologies today, whether it's 5G, digital twins, autonomous guided vehicles, chat GPT and other um, generative AI. What excites you about the application of these types of technologies? What's the most exciting or impressive application of these technologies that you've seen? Or are there ones that you imagine? Are there ones that you say to yourself, I can't wait till this is possible? I've come to a conclusion a long time back, years ago, that technology already is no longer the limiting factor. The limiting factor is the human innovation and these technologies, as we've been discussing, is allowing us to, is to just innovate much faster. So it's the impact that these technologies can create. What I find particularly liberating is equipping an operator, a line-side operator, with the capability to take decisions in real time. And this operator is not someone who's got 25 years of operating in that plant environment or that plant context. You know, this operator is probably two to three years experience, right? But through these technologies, equipping him or her to be able to emulate or simulate the impact of the decision that he or she is about to make and then act with confidence and not only avert downtime, but actually produce a superior outcome. To be able to take into account a certain part that was expected to come in from your vendor did not come in, but your manufacturing adjusts itself to continue producing with what is available. Those are the kind of things which I really find very liberating. So it isn't a particular technology, Sarah, but it is the confluence of all of these technologies which are creating this huge impact in our real world, right? You know, which is what I really find very inspiring. And you, Ender, what's an exciting aspect of the future that you imagine? For us, uh, we have been always look at how do we enhance human beings from uh, the technology we have. We look at navigating ourselves in the world. That will be a massive level. But what if you think about navigating yourself around your environment, in the house or in the working environment, where you're able to read all the data that from the back end all the way to your eyes directly. Well, you heard it here first, everyone. This future is not too far away. So on that note, I'd like to say a very big thank you to Ender from HiverLab and also Dilip Sawney from Rockwell Automation for joining me today on Techcetera. It's been wonderful to talk to you. Thanks, Sarah. Great to be a part of this podcast. And uh, thanks, Ander. Thank you, Dilip, for insightful sharing. You've been listening to Techcetera, a podcast about the intersection of technology, culture, etc. This podcast was produced by Ericsson. For 130 years and counting, Ericsson has been innovating to deliver the best of mobile connectivity and broadband to billions of people around the world, driving positive change in every sector of our society. To find out more, head to our website at ericsson.com. To guarantee you don't miss an episode of Techcetera, be sure to subscribe to or follow the show in your podcast app. And while you're there, leave us a five-star review. It really helps others find the show. I'm Sarah Goss, and I'll be back next episode with more Techcetera. Thank you.